Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. On today's show, the Hornets battle back in Brooklyn and now look forward to facing off against the Indiana Pacers and their first matchup against Al Jefferson. We'll have a report from Tom Lewis from Locked On Pacers. We're talking more Hornets before 9 a.m. than most people do in an entire day. You're Locked On Hornets. You are Locked On, Locked On, Locked On Hornets, your daily Charlotte Hornets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Hornets on this Monday morning. It's Hornets Talk for the hardcore fan, getting your week started off in the right direction. We're coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful uptown Charlotte. I'm Doug Branson, joined by the man, the myth, the legend, David Walker, the TV star. Yeah, so Doug, as you know, <laughs> and as may some of our friends, they may know as well, I, I did tweet out. I did tweet out a, a, a tweet with a picture uh, right before going on uh, Good Morning Charlotte or Fox 46 uh, with yeah, our good friend Logan Carroll. Yeah. Good day, Charlotte. Um, thanks for having us back. It's always fun to be out there. But one thing I just wanted to clear up, you know, Logan threw out at me, uh, what is this, the fourth year of the Hornets return? And that jarred me, one, because I can't keep time uh, sp- <laughs> and space. <laughs> I can't keep it, things together uh, with two kids running ever since i've had these, these two little these two little rugrats uh, I, yeah. time is, is i haven't is had children yet david but i do hear that it causes time travel yes um it's, it's one of the magical things that they bring but anyway so i was like i don't think it's four and he was like three and i was like two so um we settled <laughs> eventually on... one of you will come to the right answer we set it on. It feels like they never left, which I think is the right answer. <laughs> but officially, this is the third. This is the third season. Correct. You can okay. you can you can keep tabs on it as uh, the the way I do, which is year one was quiet Marvin, year two was mm. uh, crazy Marvin, and now we're in year mm. three. That's how I keep track of it. I keep my. Okay. It's sort of there's two eras of Charlotte Hornets basketball before Marvin Williams and after Marvin Williams. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's a good little trick. I'll pass along to Logan so neither one of us you know, have that trip up again. Yeah, definitely. And thanks to Logan, Cheryl, and the team at Good Day Charlotte for having us on. We'll be on pretty much every week uh, covering Hornets on Saturday or Sunday. I'll be on next week, so look forward to that. Set your dial. We'll definitely tweet out from at Locked on Hornets when we go on the show. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Go to iTunes, search Locked On, and find podcasts on the NFL, golf, fantasy sports, Anything you want, aside from baseball, but that's coming, I'm sure. With with the popularity of that World Series, I think the MLB will get added to this Locked On Podcast Network very soon. It's the fastest-growing podcast network in the world, so get on board. Let's start in Brooklyn, where the Hornets get a win over the Jeremy Lindless Nets, 99-95. Charlotte getting off to their best start in 16 years, David, at 4-1. and one. They once again had to fight back from a slow start and a double-digit deficit Kimball Walker helped the Hornets get back into this one. 
in the first quarter by hitting big shots, and he hit some free throws down the stretch. He finished with a season-high 30 points. Nick Batum added 18, and Cody Zeller had a team-high six dimes, six assists for the big man. David, what's your big takeaway from this contest? Big takeaway for me, Doug, was one, uh, Nick Batum was clearly being more aggressive on offense to me to start the game. I mean, yes. he looked like he wanted to affect the game with his scoring and with his shooting, and, and he looked much more locked in. I don't know if it was the Zach Lowe interview. You know, I don't know if it was uh, the, the words that he spoke after practice about he and other guys having to step up, but he, he was looking to score, and, and so was Kemba Walker, and the Nets knew that. <laughs> and so they were all over those guys, Doug. Doug, those were the only two people, you were at the game, so I don't know if you caught on to this, only two players to score a field goal in that first quarter. And as nice as that was, it could be problematic, I think. Yeah, that's one of my big questions coming out of this game, what to think about the fact that 22 of the Hornets' 23 points in the first quarter of this game came from Kemba and Batum. And really, the only bench scoring that you had for a large majority of this game was from Spencer Hawes. My only thought is that I think, in terms of Kimba and Batum, I think that Hornets fans should get used to this. You know, without Al mm. Jefferson, who the Hornets will face off against tonight in in Charlotte mm. against the Pacers, without Al Jefferson down low, without that option, the Hornets are really going to have to lean on Kimba and Nick to get the offense started. So far this season, yeah. Kimba Walker and Nick Batum have accounted for nearly 35% of made field goals. So they are the engine that makes the Hornets run. It's not something I, I think that Hornets fans, Charlotte fans are really used to from from this team. But I mean, if you look at, at a team like Portland, I mean, Portland's offense goes as Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum go. And so sure. I, I think the Hornets have to develop into that kind of team. And, and I think that's why it makes it so important to get Roy Hibbert back not because he will be an offensive threat, but just because, you know, he allows, I think he allows guards to save a little bit of energy on defense because they know, they trust that there's someone back behind them to cover on help defense if they need it. They don't have to play, not play as hard, but play as intense defense when you have a shot blocker like that behind them. It's important that they get him back. But I just think they have, you have to get used to this. They are going to be a majority of the offense moving forward. Yeah, apparently. And we talked a lot about Nick Batum not changing his game this season, but that's a slight tweak. I mean, don't you think? You saw it in the first couple games. He was much more like he was last year. And I don't want to say reserved, but kind of in the flow, trying to get Kimba going. But, I mean, really, to help Kimba out, he's going to have to be aggressive and, and score, I think, because you're right, it's those two guys, especially like when you have MKG out there, right? Like he's not going to create his own shot to the point of being able to score effectively. Marvin, kind of the same thing, uh, finally hit a three, got off the schneid there in New Jersey. But again, he's not going not, to, not some someone that's going to create offense for themselves. And then Cody or Hibbert, really, either one you have in there. It's not the Al Jefferson throw it in there type and go score. So it is going to be up to those two guys. That is a little bit of a change. The good news is, dude, Cody, I mean, sorry, Kimball Walker is playing out of his mind right now. And, you know, we talked about him taking another leap. He looks fantastic right now. I haven't looked down the all-star list as of yet since we're only <laughs> only five games in. A little early. But if, if, if those numbers continue, I mean, they're just fantastic. And, and that is what I was looking for him to start this season because um, it's just so important. And as we've seen, 
he's going to have to carry the load, especially on offense. He's aggressive. He's taking good shots, and he's getting to the free throw yeah. line, David. Seven free throw attempts a game so far. That's a, that's a lot. And so Kimball Walker doing it inside and out. Uh, my big takeaway from the game is that the Hornets are still playing great in stretches, especially third quarters. They are scoring uh, 30.8 points per game in third quarters. That's crazy. And then in other stretches, the ball struggles to move into the paint, and the the defense allows the ball into the paint way too easily at times. Brooklyn was able to score 42 points in the paint. Coach Clifford said after the game that this team needs Roy Hibbert, and I believe him. I think Cody Zeller played very well in this game, but Hibbert Mm -hmm. gives this team size and rim protection and rebounding help, and he, he actually... In in the preseason and in the game against Milwaukee, he did a great job at rebounding himself. And I think he gives that help to the Hornets that Zeller can't offer to the degree that Hibbert can. But I think Zeller would be an amazing asset uh, to have on uh, on that second unit. Uh, David, so yeah. I, I, t- well, I have one more question on this game. But before I get to that, so I, I attended this game in Brooklyn. Would you like some quick thoughts on Barclays? Please. I want to hear about the food. I've heard the food is phenomenal. The food is, first of all, it's Barclays. I checked the pronunciation guide, the NBA pronunciation Uh, guide. It's apparently Barclays, not Barclays. So I wanted to get that right. You you know, when in Rome, get the name right. Uh, But number one, Barclays is an amazing arena, looks huge inside, but it seats a thousand less than Spectrum Center, which I found interesting. The upper level, much smaller. Than it looked almost half the size in terms of the number of seats in the upper level as you would have in uh, Spectrum Center. It's very steep too. I mean, you're 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 climbing Mount uh, 200 level basically. Um, mm-hmm. The food was outstanding. I ate a huge S and P sandwich, sausage and peppers. Got some Philly fries. Those are fries covered in Old Bay. And producer Katie had fish tacos. Those are. And you know what I heard too? I heard that this season. Uh, Spectrum Center, they did a lot of research in terms of uh, what to bring to the Spectrum Center. Obviously, they've got the new scoreboard, but I, I think they went to Madison Square Garden and a few other arenas to kind of pick up some some trends and some tips. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of the food offerings that are much better in Spectrum Center this season uh, took a little bit of inspiration from Barclays. Uh, a lot of selections, a lot of local foods. There's a local fo- focus in Barclays, and I think you see that in Spectrum Center this season as well. And finally, I like the crowd. It was a Friday night, of course, so you're going to get a big crowd, but they came out in, in good numbers, and it was an active crowd. It got pretty loud and engaged late as mm-hmm. the game tightened up. I think if if Brooklyn puts a, a good squad out there, if they can get through this period that they've put themselves in for sure, um, that you know the owner Prokhorov. I mean, it's it's a mess of their own making. But if they get through that, I think Brooklyn will. I think the you know entire New York City will will come out and, and support this team. Were you nervous that the Hornets were going to let that one slip away, and that most of it would have been blamed on you? Yes, yes, that was okay. pretty. That was pretty much my my entire focus is normally all on me and my effect on the game. I really feel <laughs> like I have. <laughs> All right, the Hornets' next game is against the Indiana Pacers tonight at Spectrum Center. That tip set for 7 o'clock p.m. We'll have some thoughts from Locked On Pacers host Tom Lewis coming up in a second. But I want to talk about Marvin Williams in this uh, game against Brooklyn for a moment and really his performance so far this season. David, he missed his first 10 shots against Brooklyn before hitting two huge 
three-pointers in the last five minutes of the game. He's averaging 32% from the field, 33% from beyond the arc, down significantly over his outstanding year last year. He's actually made only one less three-pointer than he did at this point last season. He's just taken five more, plus he struggled to convert virtually anywhere else on the floor. David, what's your regression DEFCON set to at this point with Marvin Williams? How worried are you about what we're seeing early from Marvin? I'm not worried yet because it's early. And as you mentioned, those numbers are similar to last year. I needed to see him hit a couple, though. So I'm glad that he did hit those two up in New Jersey. And they were huge. And I think that adds to it. Um, He just hopefully needed to see the ball go in the basket a lot of times guys do i mean i will admit though he, he's looking extra uh tired or you know worn down maybe but he's always had that old man walk so like that's kind of something he's he's carried around with him even even when he was playing in in college at carolina but I, i'm i'm hopeful that um he's going to get back on track here and those two will open up things for him i mean we'll see tonight but i mean the shots like he may be taking some tougher shots but he's still getting some wide open looks and i think those will come back and he'll be able to convert on those like you saw him do in Brooklyn because if those kickouts are still going to be there, I mean, he's got to hit them. And I don't think he's just going to lose the shooting touch. You know, I mean, the legs are another question, I suppose. But I I feel confident that he'll be able to get back on track and get, get some threes to go down. Yeah, here's what worries me. He's not getting to the line as much. Um, and He didn't do it, you know, a significant amount last season, 1.8 per game, but it's down to 0.8. So he's not driving as much. And I think, you know, you look at what his role is on defense and without Roy Hibbert, again, he has to go back to, um, and he's switching a lot with Batum and MKG. I mean, I think he's, I think, and he's, how aggressive he's being on offense, how many shots he is taking. And certainly some of that is wanting to get out of the shooting slump. But I just worry about how significant a role he's taking both on offense and defense and what that uh, will do to the body. I'm not worried about his confidence. I mean, you saw it late in the game. That's why you mm-hmm. like to have a veteran presence like him in your starting unit because you know he goes 0 for 10. It doesn't matter. He's looking for a shot, and when the ball came to him, he did not hesitate at all, made those two three-pointers. So, you know, certainly an asset on this team. I just – I am worried a little bit that, um, you know, his role is not decreasing – uh, to you know, and and I think that we we sort of mark that in the off season as key. Like take some of the pressure off of Marvin Williams to do some of these things, and and you could possibly avoid a, a big regression. And so far, his shooting numbers just aren't there. And and hopefully they rebound. They'll have to rebound because you do need to take some of that pressure off of Kimball Walker and Batum to produce offense. A uh, fun thing happened over the weekend. Nick Batum, you mentioned it earlier in the show, stopped by the Low Post podcast, took us inside his re-signing with the Charlotte Hornets this summer. The re-signing took place in Dallas. The Hornets flew out on the first day of free agency to meet him there, David. And according to Nick Batum, mm-hmm. they brought some powerful arguments into the room. First of all, Kimba and MKG were both there. The executives were all there. MJ was on the telephone. And then they showed him a video Rich Cho, GM, general manager of the Charlotte Hornets, apparently went to Nick Batum's hometown in France to interview people that made him who he was, including former coaches. And they had it all on video. And of course, it worked because Nick Batum is back in Charlotte. How impressed, when you listen to all this, were you of, of the Hornets, of the organization, to go that extra mile? 
Yeah, did we confirm that it was Rich Cho, or did some lucky intern get two tickets to Paris? No, Batum uh, said. Batum th- said that uh, on the podcast that okay. Cho went. Okay. That to me, that's the biggest thing. That the that's, general yeah, manager yeah. goes to your took hometown time. to to yeah. to do the dirty work. Yeah, it took time out to talk to people, to interview, to put it on tape, to put together that little that package for Batum to look at. He said he, he got a little, you know, emotional. He didn't cry. But it sounded like, you know, it tugged at his heartstrings a little bit. And as you mentioned, it obviously worked. So I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, I'm sure there's there's stories like that when, when teams are wooing free agents and we always hear about the presentation that, you know, like LeBron gets and stuff like that. But I think they obviously nailed it with Nick. I mean, they 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 know he's a, he's a family guy, right? Um, and that was a pretty cool gesture, I thought. I mean, and I don't think he took any other meetings, right? No. No, that was it. Yeah, they, so that they, was it. They and did I believe, the deal. You know, and I read somewhere else he did another interview where like 22 teams called his agent, mm-hmm. you know, just inquiring and looking at Nick. So um, sought after, and you know, when you talk about a team not wanting to spend money, I, you, you have to factor in just a, just a trip to France. Now, I mean, not a grueling trip, mind you, but look, I mean, that was that was money spent to bring Nick back in. I think that was pretty cool. What do you think about that little story? Well, here's what I think. You know, when you look back at uh, the debacle that was the L.A. Lakers' pursuit of LaMarcus Aldridge, one thing became clear, that if you don't know the player that you're trying to go after and you don't match your Mm. pitch to that player's personality and what that player wants, and this is sort of basic... This sort of basic like negotiation or basic um, uh, persuasion that you want to match your pitch to the personality of the person that you're pitching to, and I think the Hornets nailed this perfectly by both appealing to his sense of home, sense of emotion. I mean, he played professionally in, in France before he ever played professionally in in the NBA, and, and I think also you had Kemba and MKG playing a little bit to his ego saying you know you make us better players but also that you know you have Clifford uh, who is has made him a better player and made him uh, put him in a role that that makes him happy and and you just appeal to the man's sense of this is a fun place to play basketball that makes me a better basketball player and ultimately that's what I was put on this earth to do is play basketball really well uh, so I, I just I think it's amazing, and I think again, if you're if you're out there and you're listening, this should give you faith that this team can land people in the future because they're going about mm-hmm. this intelligently. And look, when you're a mid market team like Charlotte, you have to play to emotion. You you're not going to be able to always offer the best money or the best situation or the best advertising opportunities or the best you know, tax situations. So you have to find alternative means to make your pitch. And the fact that Rich right. Cho, who is a high-up executive, can make the emotional connection in that way is very... And he's a numbers guy, right? He's, like he's, he, right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so I think it's cool. I, and, and not to interrupt you, Doug, but it goes back to acquiring these guys and, you know, they traded for Batum had one year left on his contract. And that was the big worry that he'd come in here for one year and wouldn't be able to play. But obviously the Hornets used that year, that full year, brought him in the training camp, got to know him 
and, and use this to their advantage, right? Like you said, knowing the people, knowing the person, and they never would have had a chance, a shot at Batum, I don't think, if they hadn't had that year uh, with him and they had some success, obviously, but to use that to get to know him, to get to know the system, and then and then play to that. Yeah, uh, g- great stuff from the Hornets organization. And again, it just gives me hope that they'll be able to pull this off with future free agents because they still haven't, Mm -hmm. you know, since Al Jefferson, they still haven't been able to do that, which is go out somebody who's available in, in free agency that hasn't played in their organization and convince them that's the next, that's sort of the final boss fight is going out in free agency and saying, okay, you've never played in this organization before, but let me tell you why you'll be a better basketball player. But I will say this, I was going to bring up this point in our uh, Indiana preview coming up, but I'll say this. There is no Nick Batum without Al Jefferson, and I think whatever future signing they make, it's just a continuation. There's no X player without Nick Batum. It's all a a building block. You bring these players in, and you have these high-profile re-signings that then these stories come out about how the pitch was made. That's all part of the deal, folks. Like That that PR is great for the Charlotte Hornets organization when they're making a pitch to another player because they're going to hear about that, whether it's directly from Nick Batum or just in the national media, about how the Hornets will go to whatever length necessary to make the pitch. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's very good and encouraging. All right, let's get back to basketball. The Hornets take on the Indiana Pacers tonight at 7 o'clock p.m. in Charlotte. Let's first send it out to our friend Tom Lewis and the host of Locked On Pacers for a look at what's been going down in Indy. This is Tom Lewis of Locked On Pacers with a preview of the Pacers in advance of their game Monday night against the Charlotte Hornets. Now, the Pacers are still finding their way after adding Jeff Teague and Thad Young to the lineup and trying to speed up their pace of play under new head coach Nate McMillan. But they took a big step in the right direction with a 111-94 win over the Bulls on Saturday night in what was definitely their best performance at both ends of the floor so far this season. Now, while the offense has improved and is actually among the top 10 in the league heading into Monday, the defense has stumbled down to be a bottom five defense. And the Pacers have really struggled on the road where all three of their losses have occurred. And the road defense has been a big problem. They are dead last in the league with a defensive efficiency of 117 points per 100 possessions on the road. Now, the reserve unit is missing Rodney Stuckey out with a hamstring injury. has been the only main injury for the past couple of games. The bench unit has struggled at times, but has improved of late with the return of Aaron Brooks at point guard and strong play of C.J. Miles. Miles is third on the team in scoring behind Paul George and Miles Turner. Of course, Paul George makes the Pacers go, and in losses, He's been left without much support. So whether it be Turner or C.J. Miles, Jeff Teague or Monte Ellis, the Pacers always need someone to step up and give an offensive boost to support Paul George and in turn give the Pacers a chance to win. Again, thanks to Tom Lewis from Locked On Pacers for giving us a report there. One name that didn't come up but will be the obvious uh, big storyline, at least here in Charlotte, Al Jefferson and his return. 
and the first matchup between the Hornets and Jefferson since he left in free agency this summer. David, it's certainly not Kevin Durant facing off against Oklahoma City, but it's still it's still a big deal, I think, within our sphere, right? Or or it should be. Yeah, I think so. For what you mentioned, I mean, <laughs> or maybe not. I don't well, know. Is it not well, a big deal? I thought he was a he's a he was a big signing and a big part of this organization. I think he was, but you look back at his time here, especially over the last year, and a lot of people were ready to move on anyway. Um, you know, so they had already pictured, they had already seen this team without him. I mean, when he was out for a while, um, okay, Cody stepped up and played, and, and other guys filled in for him. So, I mean, they kind of got a taste for it, and I think a lot of people knew that it was heading this way. So, uh, you know, it may not have the attraction that it, it, it seems like it should, but I still think it's a big deal because of what you mentioned and what he represented for that for this team, this city, in that signing. But I don't know. I mean, and, and plus, like, look at it. He wasn't even mentioned in this game preview. It's, it's, it's like he's still trying to find his way there as well to be yeah. a force off the bench. So I think it loses a little bit of his luster. I think that to hardcore Hornets fans, you guys out there will be excited to, to see him come back and, and maybe judge whether or not finally it was a good move. I, I've seen a little bit of him, Doug. I mean, what have you thought so far? Have you seen him play at all or, or the Pacers? Yeah, he's – well, so first of all, he's averaging more rebounds at five than points, 4.8. So I think, you know, if you're if you're one of those people that wanted or were ready to see Al Jefferson go because you thought his offense uh, – his offensive impact was diminishing – those those numbers could or and his performance so far early in the season could uh, reinforce that. But I think yeah. it will be interesting to see if the Hornets' second unit goes after him in the pick and roll defensively. I think Ramon Sessions and Kimba Walker could get a few easy buckets pulling up off the pick against a backpedaling Al Jefferson. I've definitely seen that. I think offensively, the problem, and you heard Tom mention it, th- their backup point guard situation after Jeff Teague uh, has been an issue. And one thing we saw last season with Al Jefferson is that when he was on the bench, he was most effective after uh, Jefferson and Lynn developed a, a really good relationship, I thought, a- as the season wore on and he became a factor off the bench. But without that relationship with the point guard, I just don't think the ball is really finding Al Jefferson. I did ask Tom uh, uh, via email, you know, what's going on with Jefferson? And he basically said, look, you know, there's just possessions where Jefferson's running up and down the floor and just the ball is not finding its way to him. And and, and David, yeah. you know that if he is not the focus of the offense, he has trouble getting offense. I mean, he has to be the, the guy Bad. that you look to um, on the offensive end or otherwise you're he's just wasted energy because he's not going to affect the game in any significant way on defense and if you're just running him up and down the floor and not finding him then why are you doing why that? yeah exactly why is he on the floor it doesn't make much sense so I think there's obviously some adjustment going on in Indiana with that bench and with Nate McMillan and his rotations you've got suggestions of possibly moving Monta to the bench uh, to speed things up, which I don't know helps Al Jefferson very much, um, but it could help an, uh, an uh, a second unit offense that is obviously struggling. So those are my thoughts on Al Jefferson. Is just he's in a situation that he got, he got paid a significant amount, but the the downside is that you go to a team that has to refigure out. You know, I think we 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 I think we wrongly assume 
Because we know exactly, I think Hornets fans, anyone out there listening, knows exactly what makes Al Jefferson successful on offense. And we know how the Hornets used him successfully. And we also know his drawbacks. But he's going to another team. And certainly the Hornets are not going to give the, the Pacers his scouting report. So they have to figure this out on their own. And, and it's been a struggle uh, yeah. so far. Yeah, so Doug, uh, Paul George, last time I saw him, he was kind of soccer style kicking a ball into the stands that ended up ended up hitting a lady in the face. Okay. Uh, and he was ejected. He was ejected. Did you see this? I did I did not. You know, I was traveling on Friday and Friday night was kind of a blur getting into Brooklyn. So to tell me about it. What's going on yeah. here? Yeah, so it's kind of like a, a, a stop and play, a foul or something was called and the ball is just kind of bouncing harmlessly right on the baseline. And George just like I said, nonchalantly kicks it. But I mean a real strike. Just a real solid kick. Uh, a nice corner kick material, and it just it, it finds a lady about ten rows up, right e- in the face. Can't do that. It, and it wasn't super hard, but uh, it was a basketball to the face, well, off the foot. So, he, so he was ejected. I don't think that's going to affect his play tonight, but uh, I, I think he'll be back out there. He did try to give her a hug, um, so maybe maybe she forgave him. It was at home, so maybe she was a Paul George fan. Well, Paul George, you know they're not used to kicking basketballs so uh, he probably just mm-hmm. misjudged his own strength and, and thought he was giving it a little tap tap taparoo and it ended up you know catching on fire and finding a woman's face yeah uh, he but, caught it too high i mean it took <laughs> off <laughs> get that guy on the panthers we need to i think the panthers give the paul george a call uh no but you know he did apologize i guess and it looks like he was ejected from that game um, but it, it doesn't appear that he will miss uh, this Hornets game. A few Hornets will miss, though. Uh, let's see. Let's check out the injury report here. Doug, oh, before I get to the injury report, though, I want to read this great comment and question from Justin and Jamie Pence on Facebook. It reads, Doug and David, love the show. I discovered this podcast before the season started and subscribed, and now I'm giddy. When I see the notification on my phone telling me a new Locked On Hornets podcast is ready to listen to. Great job. Keep it up. I am concerned about Roy Hibbert. Is this knee injury a day-to-day issue or should we be worried about this long term? First of all, Justin and Jamie, thanks for listening. And we're giddy that you guys are giddy. So let's talk about this knee injury. It's lingered a bit longer than I think any of us had anticipated. Roy Hibbert is still practicing, but has been limited. He was able to do a little more yesterday, but still isn't getting up and down the court well enough to be cleared. He's listed as out for this game tonight. But yes, this is a day-to-day, game-to-game type of thing for now. But we don't know how that's necessarily going to develop. These It's sort of... Uh, a general knee soreness type of injury. There, there was no uh, traumatic event or or tear of, of some kind that is that you would go, okay, well, he's definitely going to be out, you know, X number of weeks, or or he has to have surgery or that kind of thing. None of that's going on. It's just, um, yeah, and maybe those are a little more worrisome because you don't know exactly what's going on. You have to wait uh, for it, it it to become not sore enough anymore, where you can get up and down the floor. So it's. It's concerning, certainly, and the Hornets need Roy Hibbert back, as we've profiled in this issue. But so far, that's all we have, game to game. Yeah, big guy, so you always worry about that, you know. But uh, hopefully they can get him right. You want to hold him out as long as you need to so he can get right. It's the beginning of the season, so that's the good thing. But, uh, I mean, 
day to day. That's all we know. Well, it's nice that they're they're experiencing these injuries now and still being able to rack up a few wins. You know, starting four mm-hmm. and one while sustaining those injuries. It's it's nice to have the schedule yep. work in your favor once in a while. Uh, Marvin Williams also joining the injury report. He's listed as questionable due to a virus. You'll remember Christian Wood hit the report last week for strep throat. It's that time of the year, folks. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And, of course, Jeremy Lamb remains sidelined with that hamstring issue. Uh, One more thing to point out on Indiana. The Pacers may not be playing stellar defense, as mentioned by Tom Lewis, but they do force a lot of turnovers. Third in the NBA in turning opponents over. They are fifth in steals, third in blocks. A lot of that has to do with Miles Turner. He's averaging 2.7 per game. You have to watch out for that guy. And when they turn you over, they look to run, and they have a ton of guys who can run the floor extremely well. Monta Ellis, Paul George, even Miles Turner can get up the floor and mm-hmm. knock one down in transition. They can punish the Hornets if they get sloppy with the ball. The Hornets turning the ball over the least at a little over 11, but they did have 16 turnovers on Friday against Brooklyn. They'll want to shore those up, protect the basketball, and uh, uh, keep themselves uh, keep themselves in position uh, to win the basketball game. Because if you turn the ball over, the Pacers like that. I mean, they ran up the score early against the Bulls, and they can do it again to the Hornets if they're not careful. All right, uh, let's see. Make sure you listen to us tomorrow for a full game recap. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you haven't already, share a five-star review with us and help us move up the rankings. Important programming note, we will not be doing a live show on Tuesday night because there will be uh, some other very important programming that we will step aside for, of course. Election coverage coming up. Going on. Yeah, yeah. So Has sort something of something been going on? Sort of a big deal. Uh, been all over the news. Election coverage on Tuesday night. So we're, we're going to step aside and let uh, the electoral process happen. Uh, that's how big of a deal we are, David. We would, uh, we would definitely affect the vote. We're going to let them. We're going to let them have their night. That's right. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to vote early, save tomorrow's podcast and a few more tomorrow morning's podcast for when you're standing in line to vote on Tuesday. But whatever you do, go out and vote. We don't care if you write in Kimba for president. I'm Kimba Walker. And I approve this message. Just get out and exercise the most fundamental of rights in these United States. That's all the time we have for this edition of Locked on Hornets here on the Locked on Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on Hornets and shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts to buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte. So what if I like to stay up late and watch TV? It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.